0: It takes us all working together, right, to accomplish what God wants to do through us. Well, uh, this morning we're starting a new series we're calling Symphony. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. And this is the super foundational uh, passage in the Bible uh, that helps us understand what it looks like to live in a unified way. In the midst of a very diverse crowd, of diverse people, and so that's why we're calling this series "Symphony," a diverse unity. All right, and I uh, just think back to a couple of years ago, a couple of Christmases ago, uh, 2017. Um, you know, my wife is amazing. Can I just say that? She's in the nursery, but but she should watch this recording and hear that again. She's amazing, and and, and one of the one of the. Uh, she, she's, she's helping out in the nursery, if that wasn't clear. Um, so um, one of the amazing things about my wife is that, you know, uh, I just have to, I love my kids, and I, and I love being a dad, and I love investing and spending time with them and playing games and reading books. But one thing I don't do is buy Christmas presence. It's not that I wouldn't. It's just that Marsha is so on top of things. She's like, she's just getting it done. I'm just saying, oh, that's good. Nice move. Thank you very much. I, I affirm that. Oh, I would have gotten that if I was at the store or looking on Amazon, you know, and so she just she's just amazing. Uh, but but you can imagine that the onus is still on me when it comes to getting gifts for her, right? And uh, so so it's always a question of, you know, do you buy stuff or do you maybe find a a gift that would uh, be experiential, you know, and and I I find myself praying, you know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, just pray all the time, pray anytime, so it's good to pray about everything, so, you know, when I pray about that, uh, what I find God saying is um, both, you know, like... Do both buy buy get some stuff, but some experience, right? Just to honor my wife and to 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 show her my love. And so uh, I was thinking about something that we could do that would be fun together, maybe unique. And the one thing that we had not done in the seven years that we lived in Boston, uh, that we had lived in Boston at that point, was uh, to go to the BSO, that is the Boston Symphony Orchestra. All right. And so I just started to do some research. I had no clue what you know that might entail especially with the dollar signs behind that. Uh, uh, but, but here's just a word to the wise, all right, if you fit into this category. Uh, they have a deal that is known as 20 under 40, all right? So for $20, if you're under the age of 40, you're in, all right? And so times two, 40 bucks, amazing Christmas present, Date night in the city, and uh, and so that was that's what we did. A few months later, after after Christmas, and I uh, had had a great time together. And 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 by the way, with the twenty under forty, depending on availability, they will put you as close as they can seat you. So we were actually GG row seven there, right in front of the harpist. Just really cool. And and, and what what happens in a symphony is that you have four major parts of an orchestra, okay. You have your strings, which is you know violin and cello. You know the cello is a cool instrument, and then you have the bass. You know, just pluck it out, and um, no no guitars. Matthias stands, you know, no no, you know, not in not a symphony uh, orchestra, but uh, but then you have you know your woodwinds, a flute and oboe, and even, did you know saxophone is, is part of the woodwinds, not the brass section. Brass is, you know, your French horn, your trumpet, and your trombone, and then you get into the percussion family, right? Uh, drums, and, and, and the tri, I think if I was in a symphony orchestra, I would probably be, you know, not that it's not a skillful position, but I would probably be relegated to the triangle. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Even my kids have one of those. Um, So you just, you know, all four. But what happens in in the orchestra is that all four parts start working together. And and listen, I know, like, I I have to be honest, you know, on occasion when I'm studying, when I'm I'm trying to lock in and focus, sometimes I'll turn on some kind of classical music. But it's not my go-to genre. You know what I'm saying? It's really not. Um, but, but when you go to the symphony, you cannot help, I think, just being a human being, you cannot help but appreciate the immense proficiency of these musicians, all right? I mean, just to see them play at the level of proficiency, it shows the years of practice and preparation where they're just playing with such a, a well-timed fluidity throughout if they ever miss a note which they probably don't like i would never pick up on it just that good right uh, but but not only the proficiency side but there is also a clear passion from these musicians who have given their lives to uh, perfecting their skills on these different instruments. And so uh, what I what I tend to be really captivated by when I see these musicians is the, the fact that um, for, for, for many of them, there just seems to be such a oneness with their instrument that, that they're just kind of emotionally and, and, and even just uh, they're affected by the, the, the song and the, the, the music that they're uh, producing. It's, it's, it's almost, you could almost say an intimate. Uh, experience that, that borderlines almost on like a, 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 just like a sensual dynamic, it almost seems, that's going on uh, as they're just so into the music. But what, 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 what happens as the orchestra plays is that they play with such a beautiful harmony, all the individual parts of sometimes hundreds of people playing instruments simultaneously, yet producing this harmonious sound that results in a symphony. A symphony is it has four different parts, if I understand it right, and movements of this, the music that goes on and is played throughout. Uh, the, the usually up to 30 minutes or more, right, of, of this, this beautiful sound. And what we see in the Scripture, the Bible, is that Jesus died to create an orchestra of people who live together and work together in harmony to produce the symphony that he is creating in us. And so as we we get into this, this series, Symphony, we want you to see that Jesus creates a beautiful symphony through the unity of his diverse people, all right? He creates a beautiful symphony through the unity, us being together, having one mind, one heart, one mission, even though we are, just look around, a very diverse people. And so we see this foundationally in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read these verses for you. If you have your Bible, you can open it, turn on your Bible app, or follow along on the screen. We have them for you, okay? So Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. This is what Paul writes. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray one more time. And so, Father, even now, we want to acknowledge that we don't come to mere words on a page but we come to the very words that you have spoken and given to us to build our lives upon. And so, Father, would you even now draw our hearts into your heart and the love that you have for your people known as the church, God, would you give us more of a love for your people, for one another, and that we would grow to appreciate not just the pursuit of unity, but the things that make us distinct and different as people, and yet how you've brought us all together to be one through Jesus Christ. Lord, would you deepen our appreciation and our affection, first and foremost for you today, but also for one another as we study your word. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. What I want to do this morning is give you three truths that flow from the death of Jesus. Okay, so last weekend we said that the the reality of Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus, is Jesus hung there on a Roman cross as well as... The the reality of him rising from the grave and the tomb being empty, that they hold implications for every single day of our lives. And we just see this again and again and again. You keep coming back on Sundays, listen, you're going to keep hearing about the cross of Christ and the empty tomb of Christ. And so what is it that that the death of Jesus, Paul highlights it so many times throughout this passage, brings us, and so I want to highlight three for you, okay? The first is this, Jesus died to bring a diverse orchestra together, okay? I want to work this metaphor and this this idea of symphony, all right? So, So number one, Jesus died to bring a diverse orchestra together, Uh, What's going on here in Ephesians, if you were to go back and read the first 10 verses of chapter 2, which if you're not familiar with them, I would highly encourage you, strongly encourage you to go back and read these because it shows us how that we can have salvation through Jesus Christ. It's what we talked about last week, that apart from God's grace, we're spiritually dead on the inside, but in verse 4, it says, but God, even though you were dead in your sins, separated from God, now but God has made you alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And so if you ever want to know, if you're ever trying to explain to someone like how they can have a relationship with God, you can go to a few better places than Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 just to help them see, hey, this is what it means to have a relationship with God. This is how you can have that restored. This is how you can have life In him. And so Paul talks about that in the first part of chapter two, but now he's going into some of the implications of what it means to now be in Christ because one thing that we learn about salvation is that it's not simply, this is good news, by the way, that's what the gospel means, good news. It's not simply a ticket to heaven that like, hey, God loves me, he sent Jesus to, to die for me, and now I'm good, but it's, it's a truth And and a gift that changes everything in our lives. And so, verses 1 through 10 talk about how our relationship with God has been totally reoriented. And now we have been brought back together with God. But now... In verses 11 through 22, he says, not only has your relationship with God been forever changed, but so has your relationship with everyone else who was in the same boat with you and has experienced salvation in Christ. You're also radically reoriented in your relationships with them. You've been reconciled with God. You have that vertical relationship set and right, and now in Christ you also have A total reorientation of your horizontal relationships with people. And so we have to remember that Paul is speaking to a Gentile audience. Simply that just means that he is speaking to people who are not of Jewish descent. And he's he's telling them, he's reminding them of what was true for them before they experienced the grace of God's salvation. And so that's what verses 11 and 12 focus in on. And if you notice, he says this in verse 11 and 12. He says, remember, and then he says it again, remember. So the idea here in the tense of the word is that we would continue to remember just how far we were away from God before we knew him, came to know him, and keep remembering Uh, how far he has brought us now back into a relationship with him and his people. And so Paul gets into what what made the relationship between these two groups of people distinct. You have Jews on the one hand who were known as the people of God, okay? God spoke to Abraham, and he promised that through Abraham and his offspring that he would bring a deliverer for all people and that all the families of the world would be blessed through him. And so it was through Abraham and his sons, Isaac and Jacob, uh, and the 12 sons of Jacob, the people of Israel, that that God made his promises uh, with them and and brought them into a relationship. And he marked this relationship through the physical act of circumcision, okay? And so so that's one of the things that separated them was this: to say, hey, these people have a unique and special relationship with me. I have called them to know me and to follow me. And yet for those who were not part of the Jews, They did not practice, most of the time, circumcision, so there was enmity, not only because of this this distinction in a a physical, um, you know, practice, but there was a distinction in their very ways of life, what they believed and how they lived and the things that they practiced and did. And so what happened is, over time, there grew to be an intense hostility between these two groups of people. Even how Paul puts it in verse 11 when he says that you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, we, we see here that it was like a derogatory term. They were, they were, they were uh, being, uh, you know, uh, called names by the Jewish people. In other words, to say, hey, you don't have what we have. You're not as privileged as we are. Doesn't this still happen today? And so... Paul describes their condition as as this. They were separated from Christ. In other words, they did not know Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. They did not know that he was the deliverer who had come to rescue them and bring them back into a relationship with God. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, they didn't belong to God's people. They weren't in with the people of God. They were strangers to the covenants of promise, and, and therefore they had no hope. So, they could not enjoy the hope of God's promises of, of life, both in this life and in the life to come. And then, to sum it all up, what made them so hopeless is that they were without God in the world. This was their plight, this was their situation. They were separated from God and they were separated from God's people. But verse 13 brings the shift, the change. It says, but now, do you see that? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near to God. And so just think about it. And if you if you have put your faith in Jesus today, then this should like cause your heart to leap and just to be very grateful and excited because listen it is true for all of us that apart from God's grace in Christ we were dwelling in the land of death we belong to the kingdom of darkness we were in the territory of no hope That was the reality of our lives. And sometimes as Christians, let's just keep it real today, okay? Sometimes as Christians, we can grow so accustomed to the fact that now we're in that we forget what it's like when we were out. And we can... Consequently lose an appreciation and a sense of awe and wonder. Wow, God, I can't believe that that I was I was in that place. I was blind. I could not see. I did not have life, your life flowing through my veins. And yet now, God, thank you that you have changed me and you have given me sight to see you. and, And you've put your love in my heart to love you in return and to love the people around me. Yes, the good news of Jesus, it changes. Everything, everything. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it it saves us from spiritual isolation. It brings us in to the people of God. And how has he done this? He says it in verse 13. This is such good news. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It was through the voluntary sacrifice of the very Son of God, the perfect Son of God, the sinless Son of God, that he made the way for us to be reunited with God again, to have hope, to have a participation in these promises of God for, for all people. This all happened through the cross. This is what 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6 say. A little look at these words with me. Uh, this is what Timothy writes, or Paul writes to Timothy, rather. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. Can we just stop right there? Every person in the city of Boston, God wants them to know how they can be saved, how they can have a relationship with him again. Every person on the planet, why we care about people who were going to the other side of the world like we celebrated and acknowledged and prayed for earlier this morning. He wants all people, seven billion people in the world. God God wants them all to know him. How does this happen? He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We We have to come to know the truth for there is one God... There's a truth claim. There's one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. It's the cross. It's Jesus giving his life as a ransom, as a payment, to buy us out of our slavery to sin and death. He paid the price with his own blood. He gave his life for our lives that we can be brought back to God. So there is nothing, there is is no greater news than this. And we talk about this, right? It's like we can have all the money in the world, you know. We can have the best job. We can have the best family, however you define that, you know. Um, People can think that we're amazing, they can, they can pat us on the back, applaud us, uh, you know, tout our achievements, and, and we can just have all the experiences, and yet, look, like, there is nothing better than knowing why we're, we were created in the first place, and experiencing who God is and what he wants for us. And so, we should just pause and celebrate what God is doing in and through our church, As we're seeing many, many people hear this good news about Christ and say, I want in on that. We have had, in the last week and a half, we have had 11 people say yes to Jesus for the first time. Wow. Come on. You can get excited about that. amazing. That's what we pray for. That's why we we keep just coming together and saying, God, would you you help us to to help others know who you are so that they can experience what we experience. And we're just like, 11 is great, but we're just going to keep praying for the next 11, right? And just so that more and more people, I mean, let me tell you a story. Um, last Saturday at our egg hunt, I'm just kind of, you know, doing my thing. Everyone always just, you know, I'm thankful for this. They just let me kind of float around and meet people. I love people, and so I just got to meet people and, you know, chop it up. And, you know, eventually it gets around, you know, like, who's this? Who put this on? And, oh, what do you do? I'm Pastor Tanner. Oh, Pastor Tanner. And so, anyway, um, you know, a couple of our uh, volunteers, actually our kids, this is really cool. Two of our, our, our children, I think uh, Amanda may be sent. Uh, Sarah to to escort this woman who had a question about baptism to come and talk to me, and so uh, she 's asking about uh, baptism in our church for herself and her eight year old daughter and so that just gave me a great opportunity to sit down at the table and get to know her and hear about her spiritual journey and she shared that 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 she, you know, her mom took her to church as a kid, but uh, you know, she didn't really uh, go to church much, and she certainly doesn't today. And yet, she knows that there's something missing in her life, and she wants to search it out. She wants to to to, to see if God is real and 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 what you know how He might relate to her in her life. So I just got to for for three to five minutes, just very uh, briefly but clearly shared what I'm sharing with you this morning, who Jesus is and what he's done for us and why he died and how he rose again and how she can have life in his name. And so uh, I said, you know what? If you're able to come tomorrow, you're going to hear this same thing again. And, and maybe tomorrow is a day. Like I can't force this on you always tell people that just to disarm them, right? It's like you can't, you can't force salvation on anyone, right? It has to be a personal decision between them and God, but we certainly can share the news, And so there she was last last Sunday, Easter Sunday. And at the end of the service, she was one who said, I want to go all in with Jesus. Wow. So amazing. God desires all people to be saved, come to a knowledge of the truth. And as he does that, as he saves one after one after one after one, what happens is this is a diverse group of people that now are coming together as one big family. So Jesus died to, to bring together an orchestra of diverse people. But then, number two, Jesus died to create harmonious peace among his people. So it's, it's not just, you know, uh, you know, this person with this background coming in and, and this person with this background and multiply that by 100 or 200 or 300 or how many ever people. But God's heart is that we would live together and work together in a harmonious and peaceful way. What he's he's saying here is that God has created this new spiritual community of people in Christ, and they are to be marked by this key word that's mentioned three different times in verses 14 through 18. They are to be marked by the peace of God. Peace is to define our relationships. As we pursue unity, we can have unity because the peace of God is flooding our life and it is being uh, pushed out from us to one another. And so uh, what I want to do to to help us understand what this reality of peace is, is I just want to walk through the text and the three places that it talks about peace. And what, what we need to understand about what Paul is saying here is that Paul is, is describing a positional reality, all right? So in other words, what Paul's saying is this is true of you if you are in Christ. You have peace with one another. But then what he'll say, just like with so many other uh, truths, is that this is true for you. Now you go live it out, you know? Like, you go put this into practice. God has given you peace. Now be people of peace in how you relate to one another. And so how can we do this? Well, uh, number one, we have to realize that Jesus is our peace. Look in verse 14. For he himself, he's emphatic here. He himself is our peace. Let me just kind of try to deconstruct how a lot of people approach spirituality. In fact, I was having a conversation in Dunkin' Donuts on Friday, uh, working on my sermon, and I had to hit a one-hour pause because one of my former basketball players rolled in. I haven't seen him in about six or seven years. We got to talk, and He's been through some difficult things in his life. He lost a, a close family member, and, and so we were just talking, but a friend had invited him to church in this, this difficult time, and, and he's been encouraged by that. And, and so as, as we're just discussing, he, he, he wasn't truly like understanding it stepping into the life of christ in the ways that, that that i've described here this morning but we just got to talk about the gospel and and uh, and he 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 said you know um for a long time i was more comfortable with the idea that that i'm spiritual uh, but not religious and this is so common right and 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 we're by the way we're not after religion like in a sense of like do's and don'ts and list of rules we're about a relationship right that's what this is about. But, but we're spiritual beings made in the image of God who is spirit, but, but sometimes we reduce spirituality with just kind of like, hey, there's something more, right? But we just leave it at that. It's like there's something more, but I don't know what that is, and I don't know how to find it. And, and so that's where a lot of times people leave their walk with God. And, and, and this is how we treat the reality of peace often. We we think that peace or let's throw in love or let's throw in hope or let's throw in joy. We think of them as like these abstract phenomenons that are out there somewhere that if we just kind of do enough right things, then maybe we can find them or latch onto them and experience peace, love, joy, and hope. But what the Bible says is this. What Jesus says is this. I am hope, I am life, I am love, I am peace. Peace is found in a person. Peace is located in Jesus Christ. When we unite our lives to him, that's when we experience God's peace. Why is it? Because God is the source of everything good. God is the source of peace, and he is the one alone who can give it to us. So if you want to experience peace today, maybe maybe you are like hey Tanner, like this is new to me and everything that you're describing about hey far off from God being brought near, really understanding what Jesus has done for you, maybe you're saying hey that's me today and I want to s- stop being far off and without hope and I want to step into the life of Christ and have peace in my life, peace with God, peace with the people around me. If that's you, you can say yes to Jesus today. Don't wait. Jesus is our peace. And, and, and not only that, he, he is our peace because he's made peace. Look at, look at verses 14 and 15. I want to read them again. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, referring to his death, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making Peace. Jesus is our peace because Jesus accomplished the step that would bring us peace. Jesus showed up and he lived a life that we should have lived but could not. And he died the death that we should have died in our place. And when he did, when he shed his blood, when his flesh was, was, was broken for us on the cross, Paul's saying that, that he broke down the dividing wall of hostility that existed not just between us and God, but also between one another. Now, scholars, people who are a lot smarter than me, would say, maybe Paul is referring to the wall in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem that actually had a sign that said, if you're a Gentile, you can't come any further. That may be what Paul is talking about, but I don't think it is. I think it's more than that. I think Paul is talking about the metaphorical uh, idea of of a wall of separation between these two groups of people because everything about their way of life, their culture, their understanding of God and the world was so different. Jews lived by a law and they had ceremonial and civil practices that Jews did not. And so there was this this wall uh, uh, that, that divided them and Jesus now has broken it down. Jesus has fulfilled the law, and now it's it's in him that that we can have not only life in him, but unity in him as well. And so what what is the result of this? Paul says in verse 14 that he's made us one. But but then in the next verse, he, he says, this, I, love, I love this, this is like one of the greatest verses on, on the church and, and what happens when God brings people together, okay? It says that he has created in himself one new man in place of the two. And so, so, so Jesus is creating this, this new person, this new humanity, and um, John Chrysostom, this fourth century preacher, Chrysostom actually means golden mouth, okay? So you would, in other words, you would much rather hear him preach on Sundays than me, all right? Sorry, you're stuck with me for, for this Sunday. Um, but, but, but he explained it this way. This is so good, okay? He said that, that these two people coming together, it wasn't as if, you know, one kind of had to level up to the, the place of the other, but... It is as if one should melt down one statue of silver and another of lead, and the two should come out as gold. That's what's what's going on here. It's not like I was thinking about the, the imagery of a wall, and I was thinking about when I was a kid and my dad went to Europe in 1989, and he brought back a piece of the Berlin Wall. There was a physical wall that separated East Germany from West Germany. And it wasn't just a physical separation, but there were ideologies that were competing between communism and democracy that that totally divided this country. And what we're saying in Christ is that it's not that, you know, you had it straight and I didn't, but we both didn't have it straight. We both needed to be made new, and now in Christ we are made new, and he has totally changed us by his grace. so Jesus has made peace, he has preached peace, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. This, is, this has always been God's plan. People have to hear the message, just like, just like this morning, just hearing the message of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, how we can have life in him. And it's in hearing the message and accepting the message that we are then changed by his grace. But before we move on to the last few verses, I just want to ask the question. In light of this God taking two totally different people and making them them one, making them new, what are the implications for us today? I want to give you three very quickly. Number one. Jesus is the basis of our unity, all right? Jesus is the basis of our unity. What do I mean? Okay, th- this is it, all right? Sometimes Christians think that just because we hang out together means that we have great unity, all right? It's just like, hey, yo, hang out, go do this, spend some time together, Christian unity, Christian community is is founded on our commitment to Christ. And so so check this out. The, The more two people or 200 people are committed to Christ as they're going deeper with Christ, they're also consequently, there's going to be a proportionate relationship between them going deeper with Jesus and them going deeper with one another. So it's not just grabbing a meal. Like, how often are you talking about things that matter? How often are you talking about the kingdom of God as you hang out? And I know it's happening in our church, and I, I love it. Uh, so Jesus is the basis of our unity. Uh, number two, this is just real quick. In Christ, I love this, the language of us versus them is totally thrown out the window. It was It's not, is? It it's just us. We're family. And so through the cross, like, everything that, that divided us and separated us has now one by one been discarded by Jesus Christ. But then number three, listen, and I think this is pretty obvious, but if you're new to Redemption Hill, we really want you to hear this. Everyone is welcome in our church. Everyone. Because God desires all people to be saved. Why? Because he actually loves all people. And so when we think about the people around us and who God is calling us to love, listen, we're not focused on the color of their skin. We don't care where they're from. We don't, we don't, we're not concerned with how much money is in their bank account or how many degrees there are on their wall, or what style of music they like, or, or what team they cheer for. I mean, we hope it's a Boston team, of course. But <laughs> listen, we don't care about their immigration status. We just want to see more and more people come in and experience the Christ that we've experienced, because once they do, then God will make them one with us. Our arms are open. We're welcoming all people into this family because that's the heart of God, just to keep welcoming diverse people into his family to make us one. Yes, we appreciate our differences. It's not that we ignore, you know. it's not, Some people say, like, oh, be colorblind in the church, we're not trying to be colorblind. We're, we're making sure that color doesn't divide us, that, that there's, no, there's no barrier, there's no friction because of our color, but we actually appreciate the color, the, the differences of ethnicity and nationality and, and background because it shows that God is making this beautiful mosaic known as the church through these diverse people. Jesus died so that we could live in a harmonious peace with one another. And then finally, Jesus died to produce a symphony as he dwells in us. That's what verses 19 through 22 we're talking about. Look real quick at, what, at verse 19, what it says. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, Paul is building on this argument, and he's saying, because you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, because you have been made one in him, because you have access in him, now these things are true of you. And he, and he gives three images of, of what is true of the people known as the church, all right? When we think about church, we, sometimes people equate church with building, and, and I think, you know, being a, a new church in Medford and renting from the high school, it helps us kind of deconstruct that idea, right? But, but the church is a people, right? The church is a group of people, a community of people who follow Jesus. And so what is, what is true of us as the church? Okay, th- three images. Number one, he says, you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, think about all the privileges of, of citizenship, and we understand why those who, who have moved to this country or immigrated here so desire to be able to, to permanently reside here and, and to be part of, of the people of the United States, to be a citizen here because of all the privileges that come with that, voting rights and, and, and government benefits and programs and, and the security of, of not uh, being uprooted from the home that you've established here, all of these benefits, but, but all of the benefits and responsibilities of citizenship in, in this country, we can just put an exponent on it in terms of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God and live under the rule and reign of Christ where we have every spiritual blessing now in Christ, that there is nothing that we lack, that we have everything we need to live life for God's glory. And then number two, he says, Not only are you citizens of the kingdom, but you belong to the household of God. He says this in verse 19 at the end. You're members of the household of God. And so what does, it, what does it mean to live like a family? Well, in the New Testament, we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but in the New Testament, you have all of these commands that, that are called one another commands. Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, and as the list goes on and on and on. And so when, when now we're in Christ, we actually, it's not that we love one another like we're family. We actually are family. And so we love one another as family. We care about one another in a deep, not a superficial way. And so that means that we're going to find time to spend time together, right? I love this group of, of, of uh, you know, a lot of young professionals and, and others, not just young professionals. This is the beauty of diversity, right? We have some of our uh, more seasoned, you know, saints in the church that are coming in. On Sundays, I they think they're like, I don't know if this was self-proclaimed or someone else called, like, the lunch bunch. You know, it's just like people coming together after church to go grab lunch together just to spend time together. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And so citizens, family, and then finally, Paul says that, that we are a holy temple in the Lord. And listen to what New Testament scholar uh, N.T. Wright says here. He says, Paul takes one of the central symbols of Judaism and turns it inside out. Why was the temple so central in Judaism? Is because God had promised to live there. And so he goes on to say, it was, many believed, the place where earth and heaven met. But now Paul is declaring that the living God is constructing a new temple. It consists not of stones, arches, pillars, and altars, but of human beings. Wow. The very God of the universe, the God who made everything our eye can see, has chosen to dwell in us. And so as we have his presence now dwelling in us, we grow together, and this growth is not just an individual thing, all right? Like Tanner's over here, and Mike's over there, and, you know, Joe and Joanne are, are over here, but, but it actually, the, the picture, the metaphor that Paul uh, gives here is one where growth happens together. And so if you belong to this spiritual family, we hope if you don't yet, you will choose to, to say, hey, I'm coming back. I want to be part of this family. listen. Our growth, our progress in the faith is dependent on one another. And so listen, listen, don't, like, we're so individualistic. Like, we're so consumeristic. We think, like, oh, man, I'm not going to show up on Sunday because this is going to affect me. And that's a lie. How we invest, how we, how we give of ourselves, is not just how we grow, but it's how the people around us grow. And that's what God wants for us. And so listen, I don't don't know what your next step is. Maybe your next step is like, hey, I came and I want to come back. That's a great next step. Maybe for some of you, you're you're new and you've never been to what we call Next. Next is a free luncheon and actually it's happening today. All right, just a shameless plug here. Happening today just for, for, for you to get to know some other people and to learn more about the vision and values of Redemption Hill. Maybe for some of you, you say, like, man, this is great. I see the diverse church, and then like I, I get the idea of unity. It's like, well, how can we pursue that? Well, that's why we have groups that meet throughout the week. That's why we have teams that serve together on Sundays and outside of Sundays. And so there are so many ways that we want to help you get connected and pursue this picture of unity and diversity. But let me leave you with this thought before I pray. Um, Charles Bridges says this about the church, all right? He says, the church is the mirror that reflects the whole effulgence of the divine character, right? Effulgence means brightness to the extreme, all right? Brightness to the extreme, that kind of light. He says, it is the grand scene, the church is the grand scene in which the perfections of God are displayed to the universe. How is it that people will see God for who he is. God says, I'm dwelling in you, and I've sent you to go show them. And so let's pray into this church family. Let's, Let's ask God to give us such a unity, such a togetherness, that we would display who he is to a watching world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words from the book of Ephesians. God, thank you that you have not only made us one together with you, but that you have welcomed us into a new family and we can be one with one another. And so God, would you help us to pursue this kind of unity, this kind of a picture of peace in our relationships. God, thank you for how you have brought to Redemption Hill Church people from all over the world, people from all different ages, all different backgrounds, all different life experiences. And God, we just ask and pray that you would do so more and more and more. And so, Father, as we, as we continue moving forward as a church, We place our lives into your hands and we ask that you would make us the kind of people that you want us to be, that are reflecting you everywhere we go, as we live not just life in isolation individually, but as we live as one family showing how great you are. God, we can't wait until we celebrate more and more and more people, just like the 11 over the past week who said yes to you. We want to see that more and more and more, and may our unity be part of the equation that brings that to pass. We pray in the name of Christ, amen.